0: So welcome everybody, I uh, just wanted to say how much I appreciate you all being here because I know um, some of you have travelled a long way and you have to make a real sacrifice in terms of time and money and being away from family, Um, so I'm really glad to see you all here and and also uh, with that in mind, having made that sacrifice, uh, I do encourage you to really commit yourselves to to being here rather than uh, let it slip by. Uh, And by that, by being here, I mean, you know, all the stuff that comes up, all the irritations and why the hell am I here and what am I doing and my knees hurt and I wish I was home and da-da-da-da, that you you just notice that's happening and let it pass, because it happens for us all. Um, Okay, I wanted to ask you just before I start, uh, uh, with reference to Roshi's talk yesterday, which... uh, I'm getting wrapped up in this um, about how you might make a decision about the way you're going to lead the rest of your life. Um, does anybody have the uh, have the have the the, the, cl- the clarity? Has it arisen for them, and do they have the courage to tell us or share with us what have you learned in your life so far that's significant? <laughs> has anybody has anybody kind of got? It's summarised in a kind of two sentences. Um, you, you never actually get there. You never actually get there. Yeah, you know, all the aspirations you have. My latest one is when I retire, everything will be wonderful. Yeah. And it's not. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So you never actually get there. Good. So, at least it keeps you on your toes, eh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else come up with anything? It's difficult to appreciate, but you keep trying, yeah. Good, good. Thank you. Keep forgetting, but try and remember. Keep forgetting, but try and remember. Try and remember. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. But for me, it's, it's giving up the idea that I can ever know anything. Okay. Okay. Giving up the idea that you could n- ever know anything. Yeah. Join the club. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. The reason I um, I asked you that was because, well, I'll tell you. Should I tell you what, my, what I learned? That time really does swiftly pass by. For absolute sure, time really does slip by, and you know, keep bearing that in mind when you're thinking about what you're going to do, because it will pass. And. Uh, what I wanted to say I, I, I'm sure you're all familiar with this maybe you've said it as well but if somebody, if somebody dies or somebody moves away and we say to ourselves well if, if I had my time over again I would do it differently the truth is you wouldn't probably <laughs> you'd probably do exactly the same uh, and if you bear that in mind in the present moment then you must do what you're going to do now <laughs> So that when you look back, you have done what you were going to do in the way that you wanted to do it. So you need to do what you want to do now, um, not at some other time in the future. Okay. Um, I, I read it. I don't know if everybody saw the uh, was it Sunday Times magazine. Uh, you know those little stories they have of people's lives? and um, who, Who's the girl that sang... Uh, Go, all the girls want to have fun. Cindy Loper, yeah. And she, she, there was a quote in it from Oscar Wilde, and he said that, uh, feel free to be yourself, because all the other positions are already taken. <laughs> 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 so feel really free to be yourself, you know, because you're unique and special, and you can't be anyone else. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk today about, uh, I've, called, I've called the talk, uh, Practice and Practice, Practice and Practice, a kind of double practice squared, and it's really about, uh, and for some of you new to the practice, it might not be a big issue for you, but it, it does arise, and it's it certainly arisen traditionally in, in Zen, is this, this interesting question or uh, paradox that uh, if I am already intrinsically embodying Buddhahood, why do I need to practice? If I'm already it, why do I need to practice being it? And that's what I kind of wanted to address today. Um, but I wanted to start off and tell you a, uh, a kind of jokey story that, uh, that exemplifies the, uh, what I see, in a way, as the path, although it may not seem immediately relevant, um, I read it in a magazine, and it was a, a mountaineer was telling a story to to an audience. You know the way some people, mount, famous mountaineers, tell the audience about their climb. And this this chap described how he'd, he'd walked across jungles, and you know, walking into the foothills of the mountain, he'd walked up the foothills of the mountain. He'd gone across glaciers, over over uh, what are those holes in glaciers, you fall down crevasses, crevasses, he'd gone over crevasses, he'd climbed up frozen waterfalls and finally reached the peak of this mountain it was a glorious day, he was really lucky, no cloud was out and he looked around and he he was telling the audience, it was just fantastic I could see everything, he said, I couldn't have been closer to God and somebody from the back shouted, you would have been if you jumped off So the point of the story for me is symbolic is that, you know, we say in the Sutra, in the Heart Sutra, to experience the absolute is not yet enlightenment. To experience the absolute is not yet enlightenment. So to be at the top of the mountain experiencing this wonderful closeness to God is not yet it. It is when you get back down off the mountain, in the marketplace, and you're functioning. And the marketplace can be anywhere, you know, it it could be... it could be anywhere, it could be here, it could be a, a monastery, it could be uh, your workplace, it could be a home but, uh, and so when, <clears throat> when, and I want to talk as well in this talk about uh, the Great Awakening it's called the Great Awakening and what is this mystery, what is this mystery of the Great Awakening because you know, I, 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 and those of you who have heard me talk before, we always laugh when we read a colon out because at the end of the colon is always the punchline that you know, the monk or always has an awakening or an enlightenment experience. <laughs> what is this awakening? What is this enlightenment experience that always ends the koan? And you know, the Buddha is, is our inspiration. And he had a great awakening. But for me, uh, what did that count until he was persuaded by the four people that he travelled with to spread the Dharma? I mean, what did it count until he went out into the marketplace and started to teach. So, although we may have a great awakening and we may uh, come to understand the difference between uh, what I wanted to talk about relative and absolute, and I'll condition that in a second and say what I mean by that, uh, finally we all have to take it into our lives. We all have to take any any of our learning into our lives and and use it for the benefit of other folk. And what's really interesting and I think is uh, is a positive optimistic, optimistic side of the human condition which we often miss is that people do have a natural wish to support other people. And you see it, you know, you even see it in big business with people who've made fortunes. They'll retire and become philanthropists. I mean, Bill Gates has done it. Lots of, so you know, there is this, even for people who've got a huge drive, there is this intrinsic uh, or instinctive wishing ourselves that if we're going to be fulfilled, it's through helping other human beings. It's not just being on our own. Um, so... Practice and practice, or or I've paraphrased it, being and becoming. And um, and uh, so uh, I'm going to talk about the confusion that arises between when when we're talking in, we look, reading the literature or sutras or or stories that we read that may arise for us because there are two perspectives often given that can be confused. One is a relative perspective and one is an absolute perspective. But before Starting on this, let me just say, I always add this proviso, because otherwise confusion arises, is that actually there is only this. There isn't an absolute and relative, there's only this. But because we need to speak in a language, we need to talk, language is structured necessarily in a dualistic way. So uh, in order to talk about this, we have to almost talk dualistically, so we talk absolute relative, and in fact, there is only this, you know. And this is sitting on my mat and it's sitting on your mat. (laughs) And there isn't any separation. I mean, we do say in the sutra form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Nevertheless, to to look at them separately can be interesting in terms of of how we move in the practice. And the confusion often arises when, uh, on on the one hand, we're told that the whole essence of this practice is awareness, awareness, awareness. and, And we try particularly when we're on session, to give everything attention, to be really careful about it, to bring uh, everything, to give it a sacred feel, if you like. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, we are already enlightened Buddhas. So how does that work? You know, why, why do we need to, uh, to practice and uh, manifest Practice and practice. So, on the one hand, we've got the practice in which, like a lawyer, we're, we're actually working, we're, 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 we are practicing. So, on one hand, we are Buddha manifesting as Buddha. On the other hand, we're practicing, like you might practice as, as anything, to become better at it. Uh, and how do we put those two things together? And uh, I hope, is Janice here? The Artenzo. Oh, sorry, jenna I'm sure Jenna won't mind me telling you this, but she told me yesterday, and this is this is this is interesting in this context, that um, she's been basically cooking all her life, and only recently did she realise and a- was able to say to herself that I am a cook. <laughs> and I'm sure we're all familiar with that. You know, all of us, when we st- very often, when I say all of us, I'm. I'm I'm generalizing but for me and I think for a lot of us when we start whatever we're doing we feel like we're kind of fraud you know whether we start as a therapist or we start as a business person we all feel a bit like we're not really authentic Uh, and like a painter might paint for years it's not until he's 60 or 70 that he actually says I'm a painter or I'm a writer and it's the same with with we practice being a Buddha it's not until we've really practiced it that we will really embody it and own it. Because owning this is a big responsibility. Because then, once we own it, we realise that we're not only responsible for ourselves, we're responsible for everything else. So we'll avoid it, you know, we will avoid accepting that responsibility. Uh, And so finally one day we will say, yeah, I accept that. I, I am that. I am that. So... One one way to look at this uh, strange difference between the relative and the absolute and from one perspective everything is fine and it's all okay and it's hunky-dory and the world is, is, uh, what's that, I always forget that phrase that's in the Bible about God's on his throne and everything's okay. God God is in his heaven, yeah, and everything is okay. You know, that's one perspective. The other perspective is the whole thing's a damn mess and we need a lot of work, and we're we're always on the, you know, we don't get any rest. Um, uh, And there's a nice uh, metaphor for that 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 demonstrates that the two things are not separate, and the metaphor is like a tapestry where on one side you've got all these higgledy-piggledy knots and bunches of things, and then you turn it over, and there's a beautiful pattern, and it all makes sense, but from the other side it looks chaos. Uh, and, th- and that's, that's the way that we can uh, the two ways we can experience life and I wanted to, 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 to demonstrate that to you by a story that you're all, that most of you will be familiar with uh, and I, I, I won't go into the whole thing again because you're probably pretty bored with it but it's the story of the sixth patriarch and um, the, 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 the two poems that were written on the monastery wall when the the sixth patriarch was given the robes and sent on his way by the fifth patriarch. Uh, And the the two poems that were written, one was written by the resident (coughs) head monk, and the other was written by this peasant who'd been working for nine months in in, 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 uh, Pounding Rice, who'd come a long distance to be at the monastery and wasn't acknowledged or recognised and he wrote another poem and the, the two poems uh, in a way not in a way they do uh, demonstrate these two different aspects one is that we're already perfect and the second is we've really got to work at it uh, I'll read you the poems. you'll be familiar with them but it's interesting to look at them from this so the head monk who later by the way went on to create his own lineage so this is not diminishing him But his his poem was The body is the tree of Bodhi, the heart is like the stand of a bright mirror. Carefully wipe it hour by hour so that no dust can settle. The body is the tree of Bodhi, the heart is like the stand of a bright mirror. Carefully wipe it hour by hour so that no dust can settle. This chap who became the sixth patriarch. Ng had this written read, read out to him because he was illiterate. And he asked the person who read it out to him to write down his own response to this verse. And his response was, Bodhi is not originally a tree. The bright mirror has no stand. Originally there is nothing, so where could dust collect? So the first one, he's saying, there's, there's dust settling all the time, and you have to keep it clean hour by hour. That's our ordinary everyday life, isn't it? Isn't it how? We were, always on, we we're always keeping everything dust free, trying to stay on top of things, you know? <laughs> Whether it's renewing our car tax or our insurance or whatever. All those things we have to stay on top of. The second one, he says Originally, there is nothing, so where the, can the dust collect? There's nothing that we need to do. It's all okay. These are two perspectives now the uh, the fifth patriarch, Hong Jen, I think his name was, uh, recognized the importance of the second and he gave the transmission to this, to, to, uh, to the sixth patriarch uh, and off he went and but He he also carried on practicing for many, many years before he went out into the uh, public and started to teach the Dharma. So we've got these two sides of our our perspectives of the way we can experience our life. Now, I've written down here one description of, of somebody's experience of the six patriarchs' view. And he says, the absolute. It's completely open. It is luminous. It is clear. It is unobstructive, unobstructed. It has no beginning, no end, and is ungraspable. And yet, it is the very basis of all appearances. Now, what is interesting to me is that within the Zen tradition, or in the literature, and with some teachers, but um, to Roshi's credit, he doesn't. He doesn't make this separation and may even be upset with me for making it today Uh, but there is an emphasis or can be an emphasis on that we need in Zen they call it dropping off body and mind before our practice is really valid now I don't I personally I'm not I, I, I think everybody's practice at whatever level is completely valid but there is a feeling that or there, is, there has been a sentiment in Zen that unless uh, we can really f- know this place and embody it then our practice is not complete and I think that's a really interesting dilemma for us all uh, particularly uh, for, for most of us that don't have a great deal of time to give to the practice as much as one would need uh, if traditionally one were to have this type of breakthrough. At the same time, I, 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 I strongly of the view uh, that most people know when I say that, when I give this description of the absolute, exactly what I'm talking about. Because in some small way, you will, you will know, you will have had that feeling, you will understand that feeling that everything is okay. Whether it's because you know you've had a glorious day out in the countryside and you're having a picnic and you're looking out and the you know, meadows are green, spring flowers are up and everything feels great, uh, or whether just post session when you know you're going home and you feel fine, you feel settled, you feel peaceful, that itch, that gap that's present in your life is gone. Um, and there, there, there are, I, I've just I've, I've listed a few uh, a, a few ways that I. Think that we can experience this without the. uh, Let me just find them, and maybe you'll agree with me and add to them. And maybe some of you will have. uh, Incidentally, when when I when I talked when I told that story about the mountaineer jumping off the top of the, you know, if he jumped off the top of the mountain, then he would have been really close to God. He would have been with God. there's, a, there's a, a column which we, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll look at in a little while, uh, which is how 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 do you jump? How, what's the phrase? How do you uh, step off? How do you step off a 100 foot pole? Which we can look at in a second. But I wanted to add the proviso that that, that when. As it were, when we jump off, when we leave behind an ex- a, a great experience, that doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual experience. It can be that it c- great changes can take place in our lives. You know, we can lose our jobs, we can have, we can end a relationship. All these things, we're left in a place where we need to make a jump, and we need courage to make that jump, and we can't. Uh, uh, we may have had a very successful life, it may have all worked well for us, things have gone fine, and then we're struck by something like illness or death or all those kind of things. And it's not separate, it's not separate from, from a spiritual experience of, of success, if you like, having to be followed by a re-im- an immersion in, in real life. And, and you do get immersed back into real life when these things happen. You may have, have, have had the privilege to a good life, uh, but all of us, are, uh, all of us, sadly, I think, <laughs> unless we're incredibly lucky, at some time the shit's going to hit the fan, <laughs> and we're going to, you know, we're going to deal with it. And uh, so, just to get back, I keep remembering things I wanted to say. Ways that we can experience this sense of unity uh, that don't necessarily come out of. This kind of dropping off of body and mind that we talk about in Zen that can, that can, that can arise very definitely from serious practice. You know, we, we talk about people having their hair on fire. When your hair's on fire, you really go for it. Um, so I've just written down here ways. I've written it def- ways for lay practice folk to experience the absolute. It Also, it's a bit pretentious, it? <laughs> but it looks good. The number one way, the number one way, and the easiest way is grace. Just grace, you know, we just, for somehow it just lands on us. Uh, it can cause a lot of trouble, you know. Uh, Paul had, had a period of grace in his burning bush experience. Look how much trouble he caused. <laughs> but we, but we, can, we can really have an a experience that everything is fine by Grace. And I don't know if any, anybody here has been graced by grace, but grace if you have. The second most standard one is by long, steady Zazen practice. Long, steady Zazen practice, where we slowly, slowly, you know, this is called gradual realization, loosen the grip, the tight grip that we all have on ourselves. You know, this, we almost wrap our our arms around ourselves, we've got such a tight grip. <laughs> Slowly to loosen that, you know, weaken it so that we can be more uh, available, more vulnerable, if you like, more open, uh, less attached to our own needs, less attached to the world feeding us the vision that we wanted to feed us and all the manipulations that we go through to ensure that happens. The less, the, the, the other one, which I like, is to relax. <laughs> if you just really relax into the practice, you know, take the weight off. Just really relax and have faith and practice on a regular basis and be really present. Be really present if you can drop that tension of wanting something, of needing something from the practice. And incidentally, if you can really relax, the tension in the sitting... Can, can lessen pain can lessen the pain the other way is illness to be struck down with an illness can often allow us to completely surrender to life require us to surrender I mean we can fight against it we can fight against it but we can sometimes illness can really require us to surrender to drop all the barriers, to drop this idea of self. Um, For myself, something I've found that that also brings a kind of sense of one-pointedness is is really hard physical effort. Day after day of hard physical effort. Or any 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 activity that's that's incredibly one-pointed. You know, it can be building, it can be gardening, it could be a sport. For sure, you know, people who 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 are extremely good at a sport very often are in this place. I think they call it the zone, do they? They call it the zone when you know they've forgotten themselves and they allow their bodies and they allow themselves just to be and just and for it all just to happen. And then the other one, uh, which is the Korean uh, Zen way, is always to be on an ongoing basis asking yourself, Who am I? Who am I? What is this? What is this? Who am I? But uh, for me, I think you probably need a a, particular environment for that to work. Okay. get back to where I was oops does any of that resonate for anybody does anybody does that yeah all the different ways we can so in ordinary everyday practical terms uh, uh, in a way which we as lay practitioners who uh, and 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 all practitioners... I I don't want to make the separation at all. All practitioners... One way we can look at this... Is that... The path we follow... And the path that we practice is the relative. The path... That gives us inspiration... And faith... And a wish to carry on... The kind of evocative... Feeling that we can all... Sometimes experience... You might call that the absolute, but the two together finally need to come together. One without the other is, 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 uh, uh, doesn't work. And I've got a, I've got a Jewish story to tell you to to to, to demonstrate this. You know, the, the training the training basically takes us to the edge of the cliff. But if we're going to jump off, if we're really going to let go, if we're going to surrender, and by surrender I mean surrender to your life exactly as it is, to surrender to your own life and stop resisting it and fighting it. The practice can take us to the edge, but we finally have to make the jump ourselves. Uh, and this is, this is, this is a, a, a Jewish story that I've I, I found that I, I thought I'd read to you. Bring a little leavening. It's just leavening a Jewish word? It sounds like a Jewish word. Leavening. Okay. A rather poor Jewish man, who was a firm believer in the Almighty, fell on hard times. He thought that as a faithful servant of the the Lord, it would be natural to ask him for help. At the synagogue he prayed, pouring out all his troubles. He addressed his maker, Dear Lord, this is your servant, Harry. (laughs) Harry. I know you are busy looking after the world, but I am really very short of money, and I'm at the end of my tether. I'm not asking for myself, you understand, but for my wife and my children. I thought perhaps you could arrange for me to win the lottery. (laughs) Not first prize, but just a moderate win to assist us in our situation. He returned home to bed and the next day bought a newspaper and eagerly searched a list of lottery winners. His name was not there. He went back to the synagogue and prayed again. Lord, this is your servant Harry. About the lottery, I don't want to be a nuisance, but it would, has it slipped your mind because it would be convenient if you made me win tomorrow? The next day Harry got up and went out for the newspaper, looked again, and his name wasn't there. He went back a third time to the synagogue. He said, "It's Harry again, Lord." And suddenly the sky grew dark, and a mighty wind filled the synagogue, as the Lord prepared himself to speak. And as Harry quaked in fear, a mighty voice came from the heavens, "Harry, meet me halfway. Buy a ticket!" (Laughter) You know, we we absolutely have to play our part. You know, the universe will be there for us, but we have to we have to do our section. Yeah. yeah. There are uh, there are there are a few interesting cones around this 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 you know this difference between uh, being at one being at one with everything, and, uh, and, and and being a relative, you know. And we have to be in a relative to function in the world. And there's a corner I particularly like, and it's... Uh, oh, yeah, uh, Joshua, Joshua's, walking, Joshua's out walking, and it's in the winter, and he falls over, and he falls down in the snow, and he shouts, somebody come and help me get up. And this monk runs over and lies down next to him. Joshua stands up and walks away in disgust. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, the monk, you know, he thought that the the thing was, Joshua was testing him, you know, he wants to be one with Joshua. He didn't, he wanted, Joshua wanted him to help him get up. Pardon? (laughs) He didn't need the help, he got up. Oh, no, but he was a teacher, he was testing the monk, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and the other one, uh, uh, yeah, this 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 one hundred foot cohen I mentioned. How do you step off a one step off a one hundred foot Um This can be taken two ways, really. I mean, the traditional way is that when you're standing on top of the one hundred foot pole, it's symbolic of the fact that you've as it were, dropped-off body and mind, that you've had a big experience and what you do now. But for me, the other way to look at it from an ordinary everyday perspective of, 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 is that how do you let go of yourself? How do you let go of this tight grip you've got on yourself? So from one perspective, it's relinquishing this hunky-dory experience of being one with everything to going back into the world and functioning and being of use. And the other one is, I've reached a a difficult place in my life. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What do you think? What are you going to do? Well, yeah, you've only got two choices. <laughs> you're on top of a 100-foot pole, unless there's somebody down there with a, a, you know, and you've got a long rope with a bucket on it. <laughs> you can drop down for food and other needs. And it's windy, or it's hot. You're going to stay there, or oh, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to break your bones, or what's the plan? <laughs> It's only, a, it's only a... Yeah, I think i Yeah, it's only, a, it's only a footstep. It's only a footstep, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have... It's the fear, yeah. Uh, I, yeah? We just need to do it to pick it up. Oh, to pick it up. Okay, okay. Oh, it's, it's okay, I think, we, I, think we've, I think we've passed on that. Unless somebody else was going to say something, but for future reference... Yeah, I mean... We can have all these fears, you know, I was just thinking, uh, I was just thinking t- today, uh, this morning, about fear and how fear can paralyze us and how, in retrospect, we see we didn't need to have it. And I was thinking about, you know, when I was in business, and you know, uh, I was in business for 40 years running a busy restaurant. And for all those 40 years, not that we ever did anything wrong, but all of us always had a fear that they did have revenue would come and check us, you know. Because if you're in business and the inland revenue come and check check up on you, however honest you are, say goodbye to your life for three months, you know, because it's it's the worst. They never checked up on us until the 39th year. And they spent the whole of the 39th year checking up on us. And in the 40th year, they gave up and said we were fine. (laughs) What a relief. But, you know, for 39 years... I had this at the back of my mind as a possible threat and it never materialised. And I'm sure for all of us we have this fear. Is that right? I'm sure everybody has some fear that, that hasn't yet materialised. And uh, I mean, one big fear that we all have is death. You know, we all ca- I suspect that we all carry around at some level if we think about it. And it doesn't feel real. It, you know, It's really hard to, to embody and I'm not even sure that it would be wise, I don't know, I haven't done it myself, so I don't know what would it would be like to really, really, you know, face up to the fact that I am going to die. <laughs> it's a kind of vague, fuzzy thing that I can't kind of get a handle on, I can't hold it, and yet I know, and we all know, and you know, that each of us absolutely will die. I mean, in one way, it's fantastic, it's, it's the most democratic thing there is. <laughs> nobody's free of it no matter how powerful how enlightened how whatever everybody will die and it's a fear that we may carry but none of us have any idea what it will be like I mean I was thinking the other day if somebody said to me now if somebody came up to me right now and imagine this was for you and came up with a gun and put it to my head and said I'm going to pull the trigger in a minute I'm going to pull the trigger in a minute I don't think I would mind that much. I think, well, in a way, it's a kind of relief. I haven't got to see it out, you know. I haven't got to go through all that worry of, you know, the decay and, you know, my hair is already bad. (laughs) Would it be that bad? Will it be that bad? Do we need to carry this fear? And it's the same as jumping off the 100-foot pole. Do Do we really need to be fearful? Do we really need to hold on to ourselves so tight? I mean, I did say to someone uh, yesterday, and it occurred to me, and I'm kind of rambling a bit now, but forgive me, that there is, you know, it's it's not an easy ride. I mean, when you do drop your defences, when you do let go, when you do stop holding tightly onto yourself and and, trying to manipulate the world to fulfil how you want it to be and how you want it to respond to you, you will get some knocks. You will get some knocks because the rest of the world isn't necessarily like that yet. But it's definitely worth the swap. I would say it's definitely worth the swap to start to to slowly dismantle this prison wall that 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 we can construct around ourselves. And to be open, and to be available, and to not be apprehensive about uh, uh, being seen to be whatever we are, whether that's foolish or wise. <clears throat> okay, so for, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll summarise this by, by, by coming to to, to to what is in effect the essence of our practice, which is which is which is to walk. The path between the two things I've been talking about, this need to be function, functional, to be able to ma- you know, make decisions, and from the other perspective, that everything is fine. And uh, we, you know, the Buddha called it, or it is called, I don't know whether he called it that, to be honest, but it is called the middle way. This is the middle way. We are on the path of the middle way. The Mahayana tradition which we're in is the path of the middle way. Now, this middle way is not some wishy-washy path down the middle that, you know, that's very moderate and doesn't contain any extremes. It contains everything. It contains the extreme. So, one way that, uh, to look at it, which is a useful way, uh, which is as a triangle... And on this side of the triangle, down the bottom left, you've got the literal interpretation of our lives, you know, good and bad, right and wrong. In, in Buddhism, that's called, or can be called, from one perspective, and it's, it's, not, it's not diminishing it at all, it's just another way of approaching a, a truth, is the Hinayana path. And on the other side of the bottom right of the triangle, you have the Buddhayana path, which is the one mind, non-dual perspective, which 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 requires a a a way of seeing the world which is not dualistic, and then at the top you have the Mahayana or middle way, which embraces both those things, embraces both those perspectives, and manifests accordingly to the situation so you act appropriately to a situation so if you need to act from a one mind perspective you do, if you need to act from the relative perspective you do and, and you know, we call it skillful means in, in the tradition so we embrace and transcend you know, the two perspectives of absolute and relative uh, so the, the, the true wisdom of the middle way the, we, call it, we call it in the sutta we call it prajna wisdom And Prajna Wisdom doesn't have any content. That's the important thing. It's beyond discrimination, and and it's beyond (laughs) non-discrimination. Can you hold on to that? It's beyond discrimination, and it's beyond (laughs) non-discrimination. Kind of bends the brain. But, and this is the important thing about this practice for me, and the important thing about this path is that it always manifests as compassion. So for me, prajna wisdom always manifests as compassion. And of course, we all fall down, and I fall down, and we all, we're all sometimes selfish. But finally, the intention of this practice is, is, is in a way, you know, given what we talked about, is in a way, it's, it's enlightened self-interest. To be compassionate is, in in a way, enlighten self-interest because you will feel better and the world will feel better. And numero uno is that you exercise this to yourself as well. (laughs) So you're kind to yourself as well. Well, You know, that's where it starts. What time is it? I've got to be careful here. Okay, so it's, uh, we've got time for anybody who has any comments or uh, uh, questions or anything that's infinitely profound. <laughs> Hi, Emma. Um, kind of go back to what you said at the beginning, that I don't know, sometimes that I feel that all this kind of Zen absolutely. It's yeah. just psychology. Yeah. And like you said, you can just climb a mountain and play guitar and have these experiences. But some of the experiences when I sit are like nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah. And I know yeah. when I try and explain them to the people who are practitioners, they get lost extremely quickly. Yeah. Is that just really explaining it? Or is there such a thing as something that's spiritual and. I, 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 I think there is, yeah. And I think, you know, we will, uh, everybody has difficulty talking about it. Everybody has difficulty. And, and because finally, it is ungraspable. And as soon as you try and grasp it, it's gone. So as soon as you try and talk about it, it starts to sound a bit phony, a bit holy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, one way to clear a dinner table is to start to talk about <laughs> your experiences on <at> the cushion. <laughs> So do you want to leave that with Emma? So, I mean, it's not psychology then, but it's somehow there's, there's something else. I, I think so. I think the relative side is psychology and is psychotherapy and is very useful and useful. But there is there is this other inspirational side, which I think that we all... In some way, understand, and in some way, the very fact that we're here, to me, indicates that, it, that we have opened the door slightly in ourselves to this. And when we open, the, uh, when we open up to it, it's like in Christianity, they say, you know, once you knock, if you knock loud enough on a door, it'll open. But when, you, when, the door is open, when your door is, it does open, there's no point in trying to shut it. You know, you can put all your weight and your shoulder onto the door, but it won't shut, and you're going to be nagged until you deal with it. And, you know, and that's why a lot of us carry on with practice. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's, uh, this is, feels very kind of uh, 21st century, doesn't it? You're passing the mic. But it helps me because my hearing's poor, so... pass. Then they'll pop a win- win through. <laughs> yeah yeah um, I, um, I have a question about the relationship between sitting on the cushion and uh, stepping off or whatever you call yeah. it. Because, because those, that experience of um, changes or drama or big issues that you have to deal with, they don't, they happen elsewhere in my life. When I sit on the cushion they're not there. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, sitting on a cushion is in a way the practice that allows me to have the spaciousness, hopefully and uh, less attachment to a particular view which then in ordinary everyday life allows me to to, um, uh, navigate, if you like the right way forward. So there isn't a separation in that sense. What The sitting is really useful in making decisions in, in, in ordinary life. That's That's been my experience. I yeah. don't know whether that was that. Yeah, thank you. Alan over there. Um, something you said um, towards the end you your talk, we brought clarity something that I've kind of toy, and struggle with in a way. Because we speak a lot about compassion in Zen, but we don't unless I speak out of very own ignorance, but we mm-hmm. don't seem to have explicit compassion sorry compassion practice in the same way that um, there's a metaver and the loving kindness meditation tradition yeah. in the old tradition and, mm-hmm. the and, and yeah. tradition. Yeah. But I think what you're saying if I understand is that by cultivating a and wisdom, the compassion is a Yeah, I I, I think that it arises out of our practice It will And and the practice also allows us to be really intimate with ourselves And if we're really intimate with ourselves Then we we will recognise our own vulnerability And out, out of that arises an empathy and understanding for other folk they're not separate, but I agree with you we don't, you know, there has been a, a, there is an ongoing debate within in all Buddhist traditions but, but all, particularly in Zen about the, the place of social action how we actually manifest this and and people have their own different ways of doing it, you know as uh, Roshi said yesterday uh, uh, enlightenment you know, how we spread our light depends on our own capacity, some of us may only have a light that's that, that's small, but if it's focused, if it's really focused, it's bright. You know, other of us may have a bigger light and it's spread out more, but it can be, it, it can be no, no more bright than this focused light. So, you know, each of us can act in a way which is appropriate to where we are. Not, not one's better than the other, it just depends on our capacity. And one thing, you know, when we, we started this talk and I, I said about you know, what we learned, what, I've really, what i really, one thing I've learned is that whatever our capacity it will be used up fully <laughs> the universe will use it fully whatever our capacity is so as our capacity gets bigger so will the demands on us if you like i, I, I don't that, that i don't mean that as a as a, a, a kind of punishment or a, you know whatever but because uh, it can be wonderful it can be creative and it can, it can push us into stretching ourselves you know and for me when, when we're stretched is when we feel really alive thank you I, um, I we, we, we'll end quite soon I just wanted to say before we end I think uh, I don't know whether Ro- Roshi was going to change and, and sit at the back and I, I want to, to first of all say is, is, is Roshi still here for, or is he gone okay Okay. It's uh, you know, you, it's an interesting thing, but teachers very rarely listen to their successes for two reasons. One is they have read it all before, or it irritates the hell out of them. <laughs> a, one way or the other, you know. <laughs> but he's not here, he's gone, so. Uh, okay. So we, we've got time for what? If anybody has one more, yeah? Uh, Pastor. Earlier in your talk, you said um, something about. Taking responsibility for yourself. And then yeah. you realise you take responsibility for everything. Yeah. Can you explain that thing? Take that you're responsible for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you are everything. You know, if 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 if, if you are intrinsically it. Or, you know, this ungraspable it. Then whatever arises, arises out of that. You know, so the very ground of being on which you stand... You, how how that's coloured depends on you. And the way it's coloured affects everything else. So in that sense, each of us is responsible for how everything is. Does that relate to the phrase, save all sentient beings? Yeah. Uh, and that's, I'm glad you, you brought that up, because when we, we chant, save all sentient beings and if we talk about it in terms of relative and absolute of course in the relative they all need saving from the absolute they're all saved (laughs) you don't need to save them (laughs) they're all saved anyway so again there's that dilemma between the two that we have to always carry with us which, which is difficult for our rational, dualistic, normal way of thinking is that okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.